0: You take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew again, Matthew chapter five, in the New Testament. Matthew chapter five. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible underneath the chair you're sitting in or close to you. Matthew chapter five. If you would, please stand with me as we honor God in reading His Word together this morning. Matthew chapter five. I'll begin reading it, verse seventeen. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray together. Our Father, I thank you for your word and thank you for this time we've already had this morning in Sunday school and singing together your word. And Father, now I pray that you would help us as your word is preached. God, that your spirit would guide us into truth and all truth as you promise. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So this morning, as we begin this morning's message, I need some help this morning from some some kids. I'm gonna, I want you all to come help me sing a song this morning. So any kids that want to come help, I know Lydia's going to come. She says she's going to. This Lydia, this Lydia. Come on up here. And and uh, if you don't know the song, then I'm going to teach it to you. So come on up here. All right. We got them coming out of the woodwork. All right. Anybody else? Any more takers? All right, guys, come on over here so folks can see you. This is our little impromptu choir this morning. You guys will have to help me because I may forget the words of this song. I'll come down here. And I'm going to lead you down here. All right, very good. Now, do you all know the song, um, The Wise Man Built His House Upon the Rock? You ever heard that song? I'm seeing puzzle, some puzzle looks and some affirmations. How many of you know it? Raise your hand. A little bit. Man, my goodness, why are we teaching these kids? How many of y'all know this song? All right. All right. Well, I'm going to teach it to you. So it goes like this. Y'all listen. They can't hear me, okay? The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the house on the rock stood still. You got it? All right. Here we go. They got it. Y'all ready? All right. Y'all sing it with us. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the house on the rock stood still. Now it's a foolish man. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. Say boom. And the house on the sand went boom. All right, good job. You guys did good. Y'all go back and have a seat. All right. All right. Now, that song is biblical. It's based on Matthew chapter 7. Look at it. Verse 24. Jesus said, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Well, the text that we're going to look at this morning reminds us something about Jesus' commands and about God's commands in Scripture and how we view what God's Word says. Our text reminds us that we're looking at in Matthew chapter 5 what Jesus ends up with at the ending of the Sermon on Mount in Matthew chapter 7. Our text reminds us that there's a critical, non-negotiable relationship between obeying the Scriptures and how we stand with God. It doesn't mean that we stand right with God because of our obedience. We just sang about that. That it's His love before the foundation of the world in Jesus Christ that saves us through His finished work on the cross and there is a relationship between obedience and how we stand with Christ. That's what Jesus speaks about in Matthew chapter 5. What commands must we do? How must we go about doing them? Just a couple of things I want to say about this passage but it's going to take me more than a couple of minutes to say it. <laughs> Number 1, do and teach all God commands. Do and teach all God commands. So when we think about the relationship between obeying obeying the scriptures and how we stand with God called righteousness, one of the things we need to keep in mind is we need to do and teach all God commands. Some of you saw this week uh, on the news the 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 scene of the Korean dictator and the South Korean president shaking hands and crossing one another's borders. Pretty huge scene. Pretty unheard of. Not happened since the Cold well the Cold War. Not happened since the end of the Korean conflict or the truce treaty, truce, ceasefire. More better said that one's enemy might cross their border. I only show that to highlight the fact that God's incredible love for us far surpasses that. It's bigger than that. Immensely bigger than that. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus said, I've come. The Son of God... The Creator of the world, whom we have rebelled against and sinned against and deserve His wrath. The Creator of the world came into the world to make peace with us. We didn't initiate it. As we sang, we don't earn it. We don't deserve it. And we certainly didn't initiate it. We didn't even think of it. In fact, by without His grace, we would not even want it. We're fine the way we are. We think. But Jesus Christ came into the world to fulfill the law and the prophets. He didn't come to do away with it. He came to do what it says. In His his life, in His practice, He fulfills all the shadows and types of the Old Testament. He doesn't change it. He changes how it applies because He fulfills it. In a multifaceted way, he didn't come to intensify the law. When we read where you've heard that it was said, if you look at a woman, you know, if you look, if, uh, not to commit adultery, but I say to you, if you look at a woman to lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. He didn't come to intensify the law. It sounds that way. He just he comes to fulfill the law. He comes to say, this is what the law meant all along. He says, so. You need a Messiah. You need a Savior. It can't be your own. Show you what the standard of righteousness and holiness truly is. So look at verse 18. Verse 18 says, For truly, truly I say to you, verse 18, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So Jesus says, I'm telling you, I didn't come to abolish, I came to fulfill. And there's nothing that has been that God has said in His Word in these Old Testament Scriptures that will pass away until everything's been accomplished, until heaven and earth pass away. Nothing's going to pass away. This is a high view of Scripture. We don't want authority over us, but He's talking about the authority of the Word of God. He says none of it's going to fall to the ground. None of it's going to pass away. He goes on and says in verse 19, where we're going to pick up this morning, Therefore, therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? It's in light of what Jesus just said about His coming to fulfill the Scripture. He came in the world to fulfill the Scripture. And about how the Scriptures will never pass away. His, that The authority of the Scripture is always going to be over us. In light of that, He says, Therefore, verse 19, Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, in light of that, he's saying, do and teach all God commands. Even what you might consider to be the least of the commandments. Gluttony, perhaps, you consider one of the least. Or at least maybe you don't want to think about that one. Whoever just kind of ignores that and doesn't teach it and doesn't want to practice it, it's going to be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does and teaches them, but whoever does and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. One of the things I, we just need to notice real quick, I believe it was St. Augustine that said it, about the Old Testament and the New Testament's relationship is this. The new is in the old concealed, the old is in the new revealed. The new is in the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. That's what Jesus is saying here. And it's incredibly important for us, if we are going to do what Jesus says here, in 2018, do and teach all God commands, we've got to ask ourselves this question. What what has God commanded? The New Testament wasn't even being written at the time when Jesus said these words, but now it has been. So in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says in the Great Commission to go into all the world and baptize, right? Go into all nations. We've heard these verses many times. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. And in verse 20, what does He say? Teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So, he says in Matthew chapter 5, we are to do and teach all that God's commanded. He's referencing, in that context, the Old Testament. But the Old Testament cannot be understood rightly in light of Jesus' coming because He fulfills it unless you have the New Testament revealing what has been concealed in the Old Testament. And Jesus says in Matthew 28, if you're going to be effective disciple-makers, a high view of Scripture is going to lead to effective disciple-making. And so that means, this, this says a monumental amount of what Jesus is also going to say in light of His coming, in light of the completion of the New Testament, about how His words in Matthew 5 also apply... To the New Testament. We're to do and teach all God commands. Jesus says to go and teach all I have commanded you. And there in Matthew chapter 28, He's not just thinking just about the Old Testament. So that, listen to this. Second Peter chapter 1 says this, Knowing that first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. There, Peter most likely has in mind the Old Testament Scriptures, but not necessarily because he refers to Paul's writings later as Scripture. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament Scriptures, we have them because the Holy Spirit moved men to write these words. Now listen to what Jesus said to the disciples in John 14, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So it was the Holy Spirit that guided the Old Testament writers. And it's the Holy Spirit that will guide the apostles, even after Jesus has went into heaven, according to John 14, 26, to remember, to teach, and to help the disciples remember all that Jesus has taught them, all that He's commanded them. And then they're going to be guided by that same Holy Spirit to write those words down, the apostles, those who are closely associated with them, the apostle Paul, who has this unique calling to be apostle to the Gentiles? These words come down to us. These are the Old Testament commands, prophecies fulfilled. The New Testament's telling us how this is. So I'm simply saying to you, when Jesus says he talks about the authority of Scripture, in light of its fulfillment, in light of the, com- the, the completion of the New Testament, we must obey all he commands. We need to look at both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And do all that He commands. This morning, before we take part in the Lord's Supper, if you look in your bulletin, you'll see a copy of the sermon outline. And on the back of that, there's a copy of our church covenant. And that church covenant, we're gonna we're gonna read that this morning. Not right now, but our deacons are gonna help come and read it later before we take part in the Lord's Supper. And our church covenant is something that a lot of churches, and this church has probably been no exception in its history. A lot of times, it gets hid away and never never mentioned. Since I've, since I've been here, not right away, and could have done a much better job in our membership classes, I've called attention to it and encouraged people that's going to join the church to be sure and read the church covenant and feel like they can agree to live according to it because the church covenant is a reflection of what we feel like the Bible commands believers. Sinacea, uh an important place of application for us here this morning, our church covenant is our agreement as a church family to come together as one another? We've agreed that we want to be members here together, hold each one other accountable, to live under the authority of Scripture. And our church covenant simply is not, it's not Scripture, it's simply a way of us understanding what Scripture says about how to live our lives. Okay? Because we want, as a church family, don't, don't we, folks? We want to do and teach all commands. We want to live under the authority of God's Word. We want to do all that He says. So church family, listen. It's one thing to give lip service to the fact that you believe in what's called the inerrancy of Scripture. You don't believe that Scripture has any errors or mistakes. That's, That's wonderful that you have that view of Scripture. But it's another thing to live under its authority. And to say, okay, if the Scripture... Has no mistakes. If the, if the scripture is our authority, the only authority for what we believe and practice, I must do all it says. Amen? All it says. So, not everybody's going to like that, especially those in the world, but sometimes people in the church. Did you hear about the recent California legislation? That I don't know how far it's gotten in the last few days or this week, but California, according to Dr. Moeller, Al Moeller, is set to enact legislation barring the, the sale of any books expressing orthodox Christian beliefs on sexuality. And so if the law was to be passed, then technically I guess they could ban the sale of Bibles even. And this is this is actually happening. You can go look. Like I said, I haven't looked the last few days to see where, where that legislation's at. This attempt in California... Uh, reminds us that if you seek to submit to the authority of Scripture, right, we're under, this, we're under this book, we're under its authority. If we seek to submit to the authority of Scripture in relation to what the Bible says about human sexuality or anything else for that matter, then the world's not going to like it, of course. And you just might get called some names. You might get called a Bible thumper. Or you might get called a legalist if you do that. In our current snowflake climate you'll probably get called a narrow-minded out-of-touch bigot if you want to submit to all that scripture says a chauvinistic pig if you want to go what scripture says about how men and women are to relate to one another in the context of family and the church you might just get called a chauvinist in our day and age what i'm here to tell you if we're going to submit to the authority of Scripture, is all that matters is what God says. All that matters is what God's Word says. And all that matters is what God says about us. Look at your Bible. Look at your Bible again in verse 18 or 19. Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And I take that to mean that God is the one calling them least or calling them great. All that matters is what God says. And all that matters is what God says about us. So you might get called a legalist or a Bible thumper. Or whatever it might be. And please don't do silly things or say things in in an unloving way to where you merit some of the labels that sometimes evangelical Christians receive that we're not very loving in how we speak the truth sometimes. And for that, we should repent. But let it be true that if we're going to be a church that's under the authority of Scripture, we'll do all that Scripture says. And if you're going to be a Christian, follow Jesus as a husband in your family and lead your family. Or as a single parent, whatever your circumstances might be, you're going to do all that Scripture says, no matter what anybody else says. Don't allow the fear of man to rule over you. Fear God and live out your biblical convictions. Now, I say that, live out your biblical convictions for a reason. Because there are some things in Scripture that are not so black and white. And some people want to make those issues black and white at times. And so we have certain biblical convictions. Make sure your, your convictions about things are driven from Scripture and not your favorite preacher or the latest Christian book that you've read or the, the conference you just went to or whatever it might be. Be sure that you are, your biblical convictions are right, that you're interpreting the Bible rightly. Because you need to teach and do all that God commands. So be sure that you're driven by convictions according to Scripture and nothing else, and nobody else. It's a weighty responsibility, brothers and sisters, to teach the Word of God. James 3 says, those that teach the Word will incur a stricter judgment. I feel that. Probably not as much as I should. You should feel it too. I think he had mine, teachers in the church context meeting together publicly there, but parents do have a teaching responsibility in their home, and you need to think about that. So be sure your biblical convictions are right and understand this. Look at verse 20, and maybe it will help shed some light on it. Verse 20. For. You see that word for in verse 20? You're looking at your Bible, you see that first word of verse 20, F-O-R, for? That means he's saying, in light of what I just said in verse 19, about doing and teaching all, all, all God commands, Four. And what's he speak about in verse 20? For I tell you, unless you're righteous, as sees the other scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So there's this connection here with obeying and teaching all God's commands for it has something to do with righteousness and entering heaven. There is this relationship between obedience, obeying God's, all God's commands, and entering heaven, where we stand with God. So number two in the outline, if it's helpful, is number one was do and teach all God commands. Secondly, seek the right kind of righteousness. Seek the right kind of righteousness. Do and teach all God commands. Four, we need to be seeking the right kind of righteousness. A couple of things I want to say about that is You must cultivate an inward righteousness for sanctification. You must cultivate an inward, internal righteousness for sanctification. It didn't say justification because that's how some of this message may sound at the beginning. It may be how Jesus' words sound to you. But He's not talking about justification in verse 20, but it gets there. It has to. He's talking about sanctification. He's talking about living our life. You must cultivate an inward righteousness for sanctification. So imagine that a school kid comes home with a report card and on the report card, straight A's. Except deportment or behavior. I don't even know if they do that anymore in schools or not, but they did when I was in school. Straight A's, but behavior C. The kid talks to the parent. parent talks to the kid more like it says, what's up with this? Well, I, I did great on all of my work. But there's a disconnect between how much you're doing and how well you're doing with some of the attitudes that are coming out in your heart while you're at school. Jesus says here about the scribes and Pharisees, they did a lot of right things. They would have got straight A's in, light, in, in the eyes of the Jewish people anyway. In the eyes of God, they didn't. But their kind of righteousness, something internal about them, they would have got an F on on behavior, on deportment. Not external, but internal behavior that only God sees. It's the kind of righteousness. So here's here's where we're headed. If we're going to submit to the authority of the Bible, all that God says and does then we need to interpret Scripture the right way. And that's not what the scribes and Pharisees were doing. They did not interpret Scripture the right way. And Jesus says they won't enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, they really didn't care about Scripture. One of the things is Scripture was not their authority alone. Scripture plus their traditions was their authority. In fact, sometimes they elevated their traditions above Scripture based on what some of the scribes had written. We see the same things prominent today. When Scripture alone is not your authority, you're going to have all kinds of trouble and all kinds of ways of living your life that are not the way God describes Another thing the scribes and Pharisees did is they sought salvation in their kind of righteousness. You see that word righteousness? They sought salvation in that. They sought to be right with God with their kind of righteousness. An external righteousness, an outward conformity. Jesus said inside they were full of dead man's bones. They were like graves, rotting corpses on the inside. On the outside they looked good to men. Well, Paul said this about the law of God, about God's commandments. Paul said the law is good if one uses it lawfully. It's good if one uses it lawfully. There's a continuing purpose for the commands of God in light of the coming of Christ. If one uses it lawfully, and I think that's where the in light of the coming of Jesus plays in what Paul says. So here you are. Maybe you're not following me all of what I'm saying, but I hope you get this. Here you are. Jesus is on the mountainside. He's teaching the crowds. And here you are on your mountainside. And your, your charge, believer, is to make disciples and to teach them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. Your mountainside may be supper table with your kids and your family. Your mountainside may be your living room with your spouse or it may be the home of your small group or the break room at work with a friend. And since you are to do and teach all the Scripture, you need to be as sure as you're teaching these people under your charge that you're teaching them and interpreting the Scripture the right way, not the way the scribes and Pharisees were doing. You see this weighty responsibility that you have. So as you seek to to lead your family, for example, according to your biblical convictions, or or as we seek as a a local church to do the same, as you seek to be salt and light, as Jesus speaks about in Matthew chapter 5, on your mission field, everywhere and every day, every member on mission, you need to keep three interpretive principles about Scripture in mind. Let me give you three principles about how to interpret Scripture, just really quick. One is context. As you seek to interpret Scripture, and you're, you're, you as a family or as an individual, even as a church, and you're going to think about how to live out what Jesus says in the New Testament, the apostles say, or you're looking at an Old Testament Scripture, think about the context. Think about the town in which the disciples lived or the town in which the Old Testament folks may have lived. There's a lot of differences. Just like when we go to Sarajevo in a few weeks in Bosnia. There's some cultural differences and things we have to keep in mind as we seek to minister to those people. So think about the context. Number two, there's not a whole lot more I have time to say about that. But you need to think about it. Number two, Christ. Context number two, Christ. Let the New Testament interpret the Old Testament. The church is the people of God. The United States is not a Christian nation. We have Christians living here. There is no Christian nation. you understand that? The church is spread out everywhere, at all places, at all times. So when you read the Old Testament and it says something about Israel did this and God blessed them for this or whatever, is that promise for us? Sometimes it it might be applied to us in a particular way. But sometimes it's not. But there may be a a wider, greater theological principle that can be applied. I'm sure, and and in fact there is, because the Bible says, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine and proof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. So there's something there for the church. But it may not be what you think it is. So be sure to keep Christ in mind and what the New Testament says about the Old Testament, about the people of God and so forth. Number three, character. Context, Christ, and character. We are not robots. We want to do and teach all God commands, but we don't want to walk around and saying, yes, Master, I will do what you say. Yes, Master. And with no internal drive to do this to the glory of God. Here, honey, just heard John Piper use his illustration for It's Mother's Day. Brought this to you. Here's some flowers. Here's some candy. It's Mother's Day. There you go. I've done my duty. Right? How's that gonna fly, guys? Not very well. It's duty. It's a robotic. Christ gave us the word. We have these commands in the scripture to shape us and form us. It's for sanctification. It's to do something on the inside of us, to change us and make us more like Jesus. To give us biblical convictions that reflect Christ-like attitudes. Remember the Beatitudes? That we looked at for several weeks? And character. So love rules over legalism here. So here's some questions for reflection before I move on and close in a moment. And they're in your bulletins, but I'm going to read them because some of you may not have it. Here's some questions for you to think about. Am I genuinely seeking to obey every aspect of God's moral commandments, even the least of His commandments? Are you serious about obedience? Are you seeking to even, the, even what might, some might consider a, a, a trivial thing? Number two, do I make excuses in my mind as to why I can break certain commandments? You ever have that conversation? Number three, I like and don't like this one. Am I creating loopholes in the law so I can continue to satisfy my lust and secret sins? Well, I know what the Bible says, but God knows my heart. And You know, you have that kind of reasoning going on in your head, or you just go ahead and dabble into this because you found some, what you think is a loophole in God's Word. Number four, am I using the grace of God in a wicked, illegitimate manner as a reason for carelessness in my personal life? What that means is this. I'm saved by the grace of God. Amen. Glory to Jesus. I don't earn it. I don't deserve it. Praise God for His reckless love. So I'm going to be reckless in how I live. Use the grace of God as a license to sin, which often Baptists are accused of because we don't believe you can lose your salvation. And by the way, it's not because we believe it. It's because the Bible teaches it. Amen? But sometimes we're accused of teaching something as if we get a license to sin. And that's just the opposite of this message. There is a correlation between obeying God's commandments and how we stand with God. So let me give you this last point of this. You need to cultivate an inward righteousness for sanctification. But ultimately where this is headed is this. You must receive an external righteousness for justification. And that's where it all begins. You must receive an external righteousness. You understand? There's something that has nothing to do with you that you've got to get. Something outside of you. Something external. In order to be justified, in order to truly stand right with God. This verse is not about justification, verse 20. It's about sanctification. Jesus truly wants us to obey and teach all God commands. He's not just saying, obey and teach all God commands, but you can't, so you need me, and don't worry about it. No. He's serious. Obey and teach all He commands. However, we just can't separate this from how the Bible defines the very purpose of God's commands, especially the commands of the old covenant, the law. What's the very purpose of it? To drive us to Christ, right? To show us that we are lawbreakers, to shut us up in a prison, to where we see that we must cry out for God's mercy and grace, to show us that we need a new covenant. We need the promise of a new heart to receive that. When Jesus, and we're going to take part in the Lord's Supper in just a moment, when Jesus observed the Lord's Supper and last supper with the disciples, He took the cup and what did He say? This cup is the new covenant in my blood. And we're told in Scripture that the, old co- the new covenant promises a new heart. What's that mean? That means a new desires. It changes us on the inside. He's the one that changes our want to. He's the one that justifies us by grace through faith. The scripture says here in Matthew chapter 5 that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. There's a kind of righteousness we must pursue, but there's also a kind of righteousness we must receive. And Paul speaks about that in Philippians. Let me read this last verse to you in Philippians chapter 3. Paul tried to keep all God's commands perfectly, especially before he came to Christ. After he came to Christ, I believe he still tried to keep God's commands perfectly with the Spirit's help, but not to make Him right with God. There was a big difference. Philippians chapter 3, Paul said this in verse 3, Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. You hear that, church? Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So if anybody's going to brag about how good they are and how, law, how much they keep God's law, I have more confidence. Circumcised on the eighth day the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I gained, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, external righteousness that depends on faith. And if the Apostle Paul had a mic in his hand, he would have would, would just dropped the mic at that point and walked away. We stand right with God justified because we must receive by faith alone. Christ alone. We must receive an external righteousness. And as we look at what the New Testament teaches us, those that have received this external righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus by faith, it's going to be accompanied with seeking to live out an internal righteousness, to live according to God's commands. It's, It's not going to be accompanied by disobedience, continual disobedience and a disregard for living one's life. We have a false teaching that's been around in the church for a long time that one can come to know Jesus as Savior and never be changed. Later on, Jesus becomes Lord. But even if Jesus don't become Lord later on, they're still going to heaven because they got saved after all. No, sirree. If anybody is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things become new. And so that sanctification process begins immediately. Not later on down the road when someone has some other experience. We sang the song this morning, Shout to the Lord. and I I've thought about the youth group I used to lead in, in Tennessee when I was a youth minister in my early 20's. And we used to sing that. I had my guitar and that. We sung that song so many times. Not a while back, I, I was asked to go and preach a funeral a few years ago for one of the kids. who was in the military. He had uh, done something to himself. And so I went to preach his funeral. And some of those kids were there. Kids, they were in their 30s. You know, early 30s. Make me feel a little old. And I sang that song over we there. And I don't think one of those kids is in church now. And I think most all of those kids have made professions of faith when I was a youth minister. But none of them, I don't think any of them, were in God's house or have a desire to be. And I can't see inside their heart. I can just see their lives. I have no reason to think any of them know were truly born again. If you've been born again, God changes you. Sometimes you're a sheep that's gone astray, but sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes you never were a sheep. That's the truth, folks. I'm telling you the truth. Put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Not in some decision. But in Jesus Christ, repent and come to Jesus Christ. Today is the day of salvation. We would love to talk with you about how God's at work in your heart. Let's pray together this morning. Our Father, as we consider the weightiness of this message, I pray, Father, that first of all, we will examine ourselves to see whether or not we are in the faith, Father, that we will look and see if we have truly trusted in Christ And if our accompanying desires are godly. Father, I thank you for the church and the gift of the church is to point out evidences of grace in our life because I know many have tender consciences as they think about their lives. And so, Father, I thank you for that grace that's here. Father, I pray that you would call the wayward home, the sheep that's gone astray. I pray that you would bring them back, Father even through us. And Father, I pray for the one that thinks they're a sheep and in fact they're a goat. They're lost. I pray, Father, that they would see it and be saved. We thank You for Your tremendous love for us. This firm foundation that's been laid for us in Jesus Christ as we sing about this morning. We love You. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand right now and sing together this last song together this morning before we take part in the Lord's Supper. And if you'd like to come and pray about something or or talk about something we've just talked about, I'd love to talk with you now or even after the service. But you come right now if God's speaking. Let's sing together.
1: because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well, your spirit Amazing love, I know it's true, and it's my joy to honor you in all
2: is the gospel. It all begins with God. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, to rule over the garden. God told them they could eat from any tree that they wanted to in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything was perfect in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with the land, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God. Until they chose to rebel against God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it brought about separation between them and God. Man has always tried to bridge the separation on his own terms and in his own strength. Whether it's building a ladder of morality and trying to be good enough for God, or even in the Old Testament example, when men built a tower into the heavens trying to reach God on their own. A more contemporary example comes from 1961, when the Russians were first successful in sending a man into outer space. Upon returning, the Russian cosmonaut remarked, We've been to space, and we didn't find God or heaven there. A popular professor and author, C.S. Lewis, responded to the Russian cosmonaut. He said that looking for God in outer space is kind of like Hamlet, one of the characters in Shakespeare's plays, looking for Shakespeare in the attic of his home. Lewis said that for Hamlet to have a relationship with Shakespeare, Shakespeare would literally have to write himself into the story. That is the gospel. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Almost 2000 years ago, the Bible says that Jesus, in fulfillment to Old Testament prophecies, was born of a virgin. Even as a child, he lived a perfect life. At the age of 30, he began his public ministry. He attracted followers. For three years, he taught, he healed, and he made bold claims, such as saying that he alone was the only way to God. The religious and political leaders did not like these teachings. They invoked a riot against Jesus. They brought about false accusations leading to a trial and to a sentencing of death by public crucifixion. The Bible says that while Jesus hung on the cross, that God placed all of the sin of all of mankind on Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross as our substitute. God made him. Who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. They took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in a tomb. They rolled a large stone at the entrance of the tomb so no one could get in or out. There were Roman soldiers who were posted on guard to keep people from coming to take Jesus' body. But on the third day, according to Scripture, He rose again. After being seen by many eyewitnesses and giving instruction to his followers, he ascended back into the heaven where he now sits at the right hand of God and serves as our advocate before the Father. So what does this have to do with you? The Bible says that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of God's standard of holiness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no way to get rid of the burden of sin on our own. God calls all men everywhere to believe in Christ, repent of sins, and trust Christ to live a new life. As we look back and believe in what God has done through the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, as we repent and turn from our sins, as we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. So let's review. It all begins with God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. The Gospel is the account of God writing Himself into human history. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again on the third day. As we believe in Christ, repent from our sins, and trust Jesus for new life, we have peace with God and forgiveness of sins. That is the Gospel.